this week's market update. Looking under the bonnet of a narrowly focused market rally, looking forward to three big central bank meetings, and earnings season continues at full throttle. So we're a third of the way through 2023, and for now, it's looking pretty positive for the stock market. At a headline level, the S&P 500 is up a little over 9% year to date. That's a healthy bounce back from last year's correction. The FTSE 100 is up year to date, less dramatically. The Japanese market is at a six month high. But if you look beneath the surface, it's clear that this is an unusual rally. All the gains so far can be attributed to a small handful of big US tech stocks, something like three quarters of the rise in the first four months of the year for the S&P index has been down to just its five largest companies. And yes, they are big, but they still only account for a fifth of the index's total value. So they're punching way above their weight right now. There are a couple of reasons not to get carried away with the rally to date. First of all, it should be seen in the context of the big fall in 2022. We're still very much trapped in a sideways channel that's been in place for nearly a year now. The market would be expected to break out of that at some point fairly soon, but it's showing no sign of wanting to do so. The second and bigger concern is that if you look further down the size scale, things don't look so rosy. The Russell 2000 index has been flat year to date, and the microcap index, the bottom half of the 2000, is actually down 5% and continues to hit new lows. So what's going on? Well, last week's flurry of results from the big tech stocks suggested that the so-called fangs and others that make up this handful of giant companies are proving much more resilient to rising interest rates than many of us had feared. Results last week from Microsoft, Alphabet, Meta and Amazon were good across the board and all go well for this week's report from Apple. The growth of cloud computing revenues and the resilience of advertising, plus the advent of new revenue streams from AI, suggests that these companies should probably be seen more as big defensive staples than as cyclical growth stocks. Another positive factor, of course, has been the fall in expected interest rates as a consequence of the banking sector turmoil in March. Falling interest rates boost the present-day value of future earnings growth which these stocks have in spades. More on both interest rates and the banks in a minute. Just returning to the relative underperformance of the other 80% of the market by value, it probably reflects the growing expectation that 500 basis points of rate hikes from the Federal Reserve would in due course have the impact they were designed to have, a slowing economy and falling inflation, and then some. Central banks don't have a great track record when it comes to doing just enough. They tend to overdo it when they tighten policy. Now, if the October low really was the start of a new bull market, then the lack of market breadth would make it a very unusual market bottom. That's because bull markets are usually led by the smallest, most cyclical stocks. The one exception to this rule was the recovery that began in 1998, which was led by the big tech stocks again. We know how that one ended in 2000, so be careful what you wish for. The performance of smaller companies is indicative of a trickier 12 months ahead, including a likely recession on both sides of the Atlantic. The data is certainly pointing that way, with last week's first quarter GDP data for the US showing growth of just 1.1% year on year in the first three months of the year. That compares with 2.6% year on year in the fourth quarter of 2022 
and was much worse than the expected 2% growth level for the first quarter. Over here, there's a similar picture. Germany, the engine of European growth, basically stagnated in the first quarter, while inflation is rising again in France and Spain. How the next year turns out and whether or not we avoid a recession will in large part be down to what the central banks decide to do with interest rates. And on that, we'll get some key insights both this week and next as the Fed, the Bank of England and the ECB all have rate setting meetings scheduled. First up is the most important one, the Fed, which is expected to announce a quarter point hike in rates to a range of five to five and a quarter percent on Wednesday. It's also likely to indicate that it will then pause to assess what impact its five percentage points of hikes over the past year have done to the economy. This looks like a sensible time to take a break. Interest rates have now caught up with the underlying inflation rate, which they tend to do in a tightening phase. Europe's central bank announces its decision on Thursday. Here, the situation is rather different. A mild winter helped avert the recession that most economists expected over the past six months or so, and growth, while not strong, is better than expected. Inflation, too, remains a problem, although less so than in the UK, so the ECB probably has a way to go before it pauses. So, a key question now is whether the Fed pauses and keeps rates at their current level for some time, or quickly heads south again, which is the usual course of events after an interest rate peak. Higher for longer rates are one concern for investors. Another is yet another looming debt ceiling crisis in the US. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warned this week that the US government could run out of money as soon as the start of June. Now, these things tend to resolve themselves after some ritual political posturing by both sides, but a solution is not a given. One thing that slightly takes the pressure off the Fed is the resolution of the latest chapter in the ongoing banking crisis, with the takeover of First Republic's deposits by JP Morgan Chase over the weekend, after regulators stepped in to close the bank. This was the second biggest bank failure in US history, so it's clearly premature to consider the banking crisis done and dusted just yet. The other big focus for investors this week is obviously the flood of results announcements on both sides of the pond. There's no particular sector focus this week, although a string of airline results, including British Airways owner IAG, Lufthansa, Air France and Japan Airlines, will provide an insight into the post-COVID recovery in air travel. More generally, with around half the S&P 500 having reported earnings so far, about 80% have beaten expectations by a decent 7% on average. For the year as a whole, we're still looking at a mild contraction in profits, which would be a very good result if achieved and would justify the way the stock market seems to be looking through the earnings cycle to better times in 2024. This is probably why stock market valuations are pushing up against the top of the range that they too have been stuck in for the last year. If history repeats itself, then valuations could push above their current 18 or so in the US, much lower elsewhere, and take the stock market back to the levels it fell from at the start of last year, i.e. around 4,800 on the S&P 500. But there are lots of ifs in that analysis. It could take a while to get there. For now, hope springs eternal. Bull markets, as they say, climb a wall of worry.
Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.